I'm so excited to get to share the word this morning. I believe that this message is, is something that's been on my heart for a long time, that God has been kind of teaching me and growing me as I've studied through his word and, and kind of seen uh, what the church should look like, what, what the vision that God has for his people is. And, and I think we can see in scripture a couple of places where it really uh, hits home for us what that should look like. And this morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter one. So if you'll turn your Bibles there, that's where we're going to be looking. Uh, I want to thank my friends from First Baptist Mount Pleasant for coming and visiting today. Uh, these ladies are awesome. They, they have game night every Tuesday night, and they're some of the coolest people you'll ever meet. So, um, so, so thankful for them being here this morning. It's always good in the family of God. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter what denomination you are. Uh, when you're in Christ, you have a special bond. And uh, it's so good just to, to have sisters in Christ here this morning. Before we go to the text, I want to uh, share with you a little story about the Moravian Revival. Uh, some of you might have heard of this. Uh, it, was, it was one of the, the major revivals that uh, went down in history. And this revival began with unity and prayer. I want that to really hit home. It began with unity and prayer. I think, you know, we're going into this prayer emphasis next week and we're going to be focusing on prayer. And I think that that's so key. But I think that there's another piece uh, leading to revival that we as a church really need to seek. We really need to strive after. And, uh, and so this morning, we're going to be focused on that unity uh, that leads to revival. So uh, I want to tell you about this community. So a divided Christian refugee community in the village of Hernhut was made up primarily of the Moravian Church of the Brethren. With them were also Lutherans, Reformed, and Baptist believers. All right. If you've ever been in a room with uh, Lutherans, Reformed, and Baptist believers, you know that there's probably some conflict uh, going on because there's some different beliefs uh, that, that are characterized there. And so their doctrinal differences created tremendous disunity. Well, on May 12, 1727, the community entered into a covenant to emphasize the points they agree on rather than stressing their differences. They decided to put aside those little quarrels, those little differences, and to focus on the gospel. And so what, what took place after that unity and that agreement was a period of extraordinary prayer. On August 13, 1727, the Moravian community was overwhelmed and filled with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at their communion service. There was a sense of the nearness of Christ given to everyone present, and also simultaneously to two members of, the com of their community working 20 miles away. They left that communion at noon, hardly knowing whether they belonged to earth or had already gone to heaven. A an amazing experience for them where they felt the Spirit of God move in a mighty way. Here's some testimonies of those who were there. One said, We saw the hand of God and were all baptized with His Holy Spirit. Another said, From that time, scarcely a day passed, but we beheld his almighty workings amongst us. Another, a great hunger after the word of God took possession of us so that we had to have three services every day. Here are the times. 5 a.m., 7.30 a.m., and 9 p.m. Who's signing up for the 5 a.m. service? <laughs> Another said, everyone desired above everything else that the Holy Spirit might have full control. 
self-love and self-will, as well as all disobedience, disappeared, and an overwhelming flood of grace swept us all out into the great ocean of divine love. That's the one I want you to focus on. Self-love and self-will, as well as disobedience, disappeared, and an overwhelming flood of grace swept us all out into the great ocean of divine love. What resulted from this revival here in 1727? The Hernhut congregation, which never exceeded 300 people, started an around-the-clock prayer meeting, and it went on for 100 years. 100 years of nonstop prayer began that day. This was the first Protestant church body to begin missionary work. They began to have a heart for the nations because when you are walking with God, when you're in community with Him, you recognize that His heart is for who? It's for the nations. And they got on board with that. Rather than being about themselves and what they wanted, they were about God's mission and going forward. In the 25 years following the outpouring of the Spirit on the congregation on August 13, 1727, the Moravian missionaries had carried the gospel not only to nearly every country in Europe, but also to many indigenous tribes in North and South America, Asia, and Africa. Less than 300 people. I want you to remember that. More than 100 missionaries went forth from this village community in 25 years. That's four a year. Four missionaries they sent out every single year for 25 years. This was more than what the whole evangelical church had done in two centuries. This one church of less than 300 people. Church, I believe that revival results in great, great fruit. I believe that when we put aside what we want, what our desires are, and we put on God's desires for our lives, when we submit to His desire, that we'll see great fruit. And I think that as we look at this revival in 1727, and we see the decision they made where they decided, you know what? We don't agree on everything. We have big differences. But in the end, do those differences really matter? No. The gospel is what matters. And they unified around that and they began to pray and they saw God do great and mighty things. I counted a privilege to be here at Highland Park Baptist Church. I believe God called me here. I was overjoyed. The first service that I ever came in here, when we got voted in, we came up here and we're so humbled. Y'all stood and gave us a standing ovation. That was humbling. It was something that's special that I'll always remember. The acceptance that uh, we received from y'all and the excitement that we had, that you see something in me that you'd be willing to call me to this position. Thanks be to God. Every day I'm in our office, I get to witness our church loving and caring for people outside of our church body. Every Monday to Friday, if you come to our building from 2 to 6 p.m., we have children from all over our city here being cared for, being taught the Bible, and being assisted with their homework. That's our latchkey program. It's an amazing program. It reaches the families in our community. Almost every single day, someone calls from our city that is in need of financial assistance of some sort. And Bob and Lynn Grove, bless them, God uses them in such mighty ways. But they do their very best to help them all. We've got a little budget. I think we spend over it, and I'm happy that we do. 
And you know why people call us? Because our church has the heart and the reputation of being a church that cares for people who are in need and taking care of them. And I count it a privilege to be a part of that. Each fall into the winter, kids from all over our city are here to learn the game of basketball and to learn the Bible. It's our hoops program. We reach more kids and more families. Not to mention, we teach them basketball. It's the greatest sport. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Our VBS brings in hundreds of kids representing hundreds of families in our communities. Every Sunday morning, we're gathered for Sunday school, and we see teachers of God's Word who have been given gifts by Him step up and lead the people to grow deeper in their faith and to draw people into community and fellowship. Our choir meets every Wednesday night, and Brian does a great job putting the Word of God before them as they worship and praise Him. And the songs we sing, if you've noticed, they're songs based on Scripture that encourage and exhort. What a ministry to our people for them to grow. On a Wednesday night, if you go all the way back to the back of the gym, all the way at the end, you'll find our students. A great bunch. Very energetic. Diaz has hands full. And you'll find Dee back there teaching them the Word of God pouring into them, loving on them, and you'll see them coming alive. Kids who, who, who normally would stay in their shell feel comfortable and are able to speak and to step up. God is doing mighty things here at our church. We've got so many great ministries going on. I'm sure I missed some. If I missed you, I'm so sorry. Okay, if there's a ministry that's going on that I didn't say this morning, because we have so many, and I think they're great. And I count it a privilege to be a part of it. Yet, if someone asked me whether our church is unified, I'd have to hold my tongue. My first few weeks here, I went home discouraged by things I was hearing. Spouses leaving the church because of conflict, grumblings and complaints among the church body, staff members feeling as though they can't lead because of all the pushback they receive, etc. It goes on and on and on and on. Church, a, a church divided cannot stand. It will fall. I believe that this sermon is one that can change our church completely. We can go from a church that's divided by such little things, such little things that make no difference to the kingdom of God going forward. Or we can choose to care about the big things and to unify around those. We, we seek revival. We pray for revival. Let's unify for revival. The victory is won, the harvest is plentiful, and the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. Those are the promises that we have, and that's what we rejoice in. James 4, 1-3 says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Great question that we need to ask. Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Church, I think that we should do some introspective work here because every day I'm hearing about another person who's disgruntled or another person who's upset or another person who's not going to come back to church because they're upset at this. And like, here's what I'm telling you. The church is different than the world. We don't do that. 
We're a family. And families, you don't leave. When you get disgruntled, what do you do? You go to your brother or your sister in Christ, recognizing that they're not perfect and neither are you. And you resolve it for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reputation that we put out reflects back on Christ. And if people look at our church and they say, those people can't get over these little baby issues, and they fight and they quarrel and they leave and they go to other churches all throughout the community, and they talk about how bad that church, blah, 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 it reflects back on Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, those things don't matter. And I'm telling you that you're not perfect and I'm not perfect and we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail. And you know what we do as a church, as a body of Christ? We do exactly what Jesus does for us. We forgive and we love. That's what we do. We step into that calling that we have from Jesus Christ, recognizing that we're not worthy of forgiveness. So how can we withhold forgiveness from others? recognizing that we make mistakes. So how can we hold that mistake for another brother or sister in Christ as though that's it, it's done. We can never return. Church, this is very important going forward because Jesus Christ and the gospel needs to be going forth, not these little issues that we have. I'm gonna read to you Philippians chapter one, verses 23 to 30. Paul says this, verse 23. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this text this morning. Father, we come to you this morning asking that you would revive us. Father, that you would do a mighty work in our church. Father, we have these ministries. We have so many people serving. We have great things going on because we want to see your name lifted high, but at the end of the day, we still have issues. Father, we'll always have issues, but Lord, you call us to repent and believe. You call us to turn from our sin, to pursue the calling you have in our lives. Father, I pray as a church that we would not be okay with just a little bit of success. Father, that we would not be okay with our members being discouraged and leaving. Father, that we would not be okay with divisions keeping us from full fellowship and unity with the body. Father, you paid it all so that we could be saved and so you could be glorified through our salvation. Father, we pray that you would be glorified through us as we seek to obey you. 
Speak to us now through your word and change our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at that verse, uh, verse 27 is what I really want to focus on. He says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What a huge statement. I think if I, if I polled each of you and I said, you know what, up to this point, has your life been worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Um, I, I don't know that we would answer that with an affirmative. Yeah, of course. Uh, we would probably be thinking, mm, I have my good days, I have my bad days. And Paul here is telling us how to do this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What an amazing, amazing thought that we can live a manner of life that's worthy of the gospel. If, I, if, 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 if you don't do this on your own, uh, we, we can never live up to this on our own. I'm sorry. We can never live up to this on our own. In fact, you can't do it on your own. We can't do it on our own. To live up to the gospel of Christ requires unity. That means in order to obey this command, to live up to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you cannot do it by yourself. God has actually called us to a body. The body in which Christ is the head of. And that each one of the Christian brothers and sisters in Christ make up parts of this body. And that is how we fulfill the calling that God has called us to. That is how we make a difference. That's what God is seeking with us. Not just you and your individual faith in Jesus Christ. But that we come together with our faith. That we strengthen one another. That we lift each other up when we're down. We encourage, we exhort, we rebuke when we have to rebuke for the sake of repentance. But we do it all with the goal in mind of Jesus Christ being glorified to all the nations. For every ear to hear the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has died and risen again. And that one day he will return for his church for all who believe in him. And he will grant eternal life, a new heavens, a new earth. We believe that, we hold to that, and because of that we give up ourselves and we join into this calling from God, into the unity of the church. It's no longer just you but Christ who lives in you. He is the head of that church, of that body. We are, we are living worthy of the gospel when we are striving for the faith of the gospel with fearlessness and unity. We are living worthy of the gospel when we are striving for the faith of the gospel with fearlessness and unity. If you read 27 through 30, that's what you're going to take away is the overarching theme there that Paul is saying. Let your life be worthy of the manner of the gospel. And we do that by striving for the faith of the gospel with fearlessness and unity. Ephesians 4, 3 says, Make every effort, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That might mean that you just have to swallow something sometimes. That might mean that you might have to apologize to someone you do not want to apologize to. That might mean that you have to love somebody who is really hard to love, but you make every effort, every effort, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We fight for it. And it's more important than your agenda, and it's more important than your feelings. It's for the kingdom of God and his glory. So let's break this text down and see what living a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel will do. Number one, living a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ allows us to stand 
firm. We see that in verse 27. So that whether I come to you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. How do we stand firm? It's done by being of one spirit. Your spirit, it's the inner consciousness, the thinking, the planning, the motivating intelligence that we have. We stand firm. What are we standing firm against? We're standing firm against the powers. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You see, what we don't realize is that there is a real enemy seeking to destroy us, seeking to rip us apart. Seeking to cause divisions and quarreling between the church and the body of Christ. Why? Because if he can rip us apart and get us focused on those things, the gospel of Jesus Christ will not go forth. We will not be obedient to the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Hurt people just hurt people. That's what happens. And until that healing takes place, we're not willing to go invest in other people. Discipleship, you have to humble yourself. You've got to really care about somebody. Join in with them. It's messy. It's hard. Discipleship requires the giving of oneself. And when you're in division and quarreling, and you got hurt feelings, and things aren't going well, how many of you are wanting to sign up and say, you know what, let me take on another person. Another person who's probably going to let me down. Another person who's probably going to hurt me. We're not willing to do it. We've got to fight for unity. You've got to be willing to forgive. You've got to be willing to ask for forgiveness. Because we have such a ruthless enemy who doesn't fight fair, it's very important that we stand our ground and stand firm. Christians, there's no reason for us to run. There's nowhere to run to. Stand firm. When we are united, we're able to stand firm because we have our brothers and sisters with us. There's no need to run. We have an army to fight alongside of us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, and fight one side by side. Too often, Christians back down to the schemes of the devil and to their battle with sin because they're in the battle alone. We must take up arms together, united as one, if we're going to win these spiritual battles. The lone sheep... It gets devoured. I know. For years you heard about your personal walk with Jesus Christ. And it was just about you and Jesus and your personal walk. And I'm telling you that that is so important that you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you have a personal relationship with with Him. That's great. But if you have a personal relationship with Him and you do not love His bride, you don't know Him very well. Because He loves His bride. He gave up everything for his bride. His bride is the church. And if you think that you are his bride and you're just pretty enough and great enough that he'll just be happy with you, you're wrong. Every Christian, every believer is his bride. We've got to stop thinking that it's just about us and Jesus. It's about all of us and Jesus. There is a calling on our lives to not only care for our own selves, but to care for one another. To be willing to step in and fight for one another. That's why we preach. 
If it was just about me and Jesus, I wouldn't be standing in front of all y'all this morning. I want to see you grow. I want to see more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. I want to be obedient to the calling that God has for me. He's called me to preach the word of God so that we will obey and follow the example that he set for us. Second thing it does, it allows us to strive for the faith of the gospel. You see that in the second half of verse 27. So first, that we're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Don't overlook side by side in that text. How important it is to look to your left and to look to your right, whatever pew you're sitting on, and to know we're in this together. We're striving side by side. We're working for the same goal. This is not only for others, but also for you. 2 Timothy 4, 7-8 says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There's a good fight. There's a race to be run. We're striving for the faith of the gospel, not just for the faith of the gospel of everyone else, but for your faith, for my faith. We're striving to stay in relationship with God in the sense that we trust him, that we're stepping out. We're allowing him to use us in great and mighty ways. How often our faith wavers. He's faithful, we're not. How often we're scared to step out and to let him use us in great and mighty ways. We're striving for the faith of the gospel, not just so other people can hear, but we got to fight for the, for the gospel here in our lives, for our faith, our race. And we need each other. We need to look left. We need to look right. And we need to have someone there with us to encourage us, to help us. The race that we are enduring is a long and tedious one. There will be many conflicts, trials, hardships, and tests along the way. Our unity helps us to bear one another's burdens and to strive for the faith of the gospel. So it allows us to strive for the faith of the good news of Jesus Christ. Unity is pretty important. Just from those two things already, those things are pretty important. Third thing, it allows us to be unafraid of our opponents. It allows us to be unafraid of our opponents. Verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Not frightened in anything. Our enemy is someone who can put fear in our hearts. He can convince us at times that we are still slaves to sin and that we'll never break free. He can convince us that we have no hope and that God can't use us or that he doesn't desire us any longer because of our sin. I want to give you an example of a time when unity helped when I was afraid. I used to, uh, I used to intern. This was, wow, like uh, 10, 11 years ago. I was an intern at First Baptist Mount Pleasant in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, my great job as intern was to lock up the youth room and to put the alarm on. And so I was always the last one to leave. And uh, I had another intern that worked alongside of me. His name was Tice. And he was downstairs, so the youth room was upstairs, and there was a stairway going down. And he was downstairs, and I had turned off all the lights, and I had the door open, so a little bit of light was coming in. 
And uh, our youth pastor at the time had given me his Bible and asked me to place it on the front of the stage when I got finished. And so I was about to walk out and I realized, oh, I still got his Bible. So I go and I go to put it on the front of the stage and I hear boom, 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 boom. And the way the room was set up, it was basically as if there were no pews here. There was chairs on each side and an aisle down the middle. And I was up here at the stage turning, facing this way. And I turn and look and there's a demon running right down the middle of the aisle at me. It was about seven foot tall. It was just a black form. One of the craziest things I ever saw. And it was running right down the middle of the aisle at me. So I did what any strong Christian would do. I was gone, okay? I took off, all right? The door was right there. There was literally a stairwell here. You turn and there was another stairwell. I ran, I slammed the door behind me. I jumped the first set of stairs, landed it, turned, jumped the second set of stairs. And I get to the bottom and Tice is down there in the hallway I'm probably shaking, right? I mean, this is weird. And, uh, and he, he, he's like, dude, what'd you knock over? Because he heard boom, 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 boom. And then he heard me. I was like, bro, I didn't knock anything over. Something just ran at me. He's like, what? Now, when I was by myself, I was gone. And now I had a brother there with me. So, of course, my response was, come on, let's go upstairs and see what that was. Right? <laughs> Because now we're good. There's two of us, right? So we go back upstairs. I go in. I turn the alarm off real quick. We turn the lights on. We search everywhere. There's nothing up there. Go home. That was the night. Crazy story to tell. But I think about that day, how when it was just me, <laughs> I took off. Sometimes I try to think back, what would have happened if I stood there? You know? Like, why was that demon running at me? Would he have, like, whooped me? Like, what would, it, what would have happened? Would I have whooped him? Who knows? I probably wouldn't have, right? <laughs> what would have happened if I stayed? But I was afraid, and I took off. But as soon as I had a brother there with me, I had some courage all of a sudden. And I was willing to go back up there and to see what, what was there. I think it's the same for us in the Christian life. We get afraid of the enemy. We get afraid... Of little things, like just sharing the gospel. We're afraid that someone will reject us or that we won't do it well. But if we have a brother or a sister there beside us to help us, we have much more courage. We have much more boldness. I think the unity of Christ is such a strength for us that we don't have to do it alone. And I think it's a gift from God. The church is, is a gift. It's a joy that we get to come here on Sunday mornings. I, I go around every Sunday morning on purpose and just hug necks because I just, I'm excited. Fellow believers. Throughout the week, they're out there and the world's teaching one thing and it, it, they're pushing you to, to sin against God and to rebel against God and they don't agree with things that, that, that we agree on. We get to come in here united with joy and peace. We get to come and be strengthened by one another and the Word of God. It allows us to be unafraid of our opponents. Now I want to focus, uh, those, those three are the, are the big things from the text there, but I want to focus on when we're unified, okay? Say we repent of these little quarrels and these little divisions. Say we do like the Moravian Church in 1727, and we decide that the gospel is more important, that his kingdom is more important. Would we agree it is? Yes. yes. It's more important. Say we do that. 
Here's what happens. Our unity, number one, is a clear sign to unbelievers of their destruction. Verse 28 tells us that. We're not frightened by anything by our opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. You see, when we are unified, when we're striving side by side, when we're bearing one another's burdens, when we are coming together as the body of Christ, this unity is a clear sign to Satan, to his demons, to the powers of this world that is described as our enemy, that they're going to be destroyed and that Christ is victorious. As, he, as, as the demons watch Christ's example lived out in us, this example that he set by humbling himself, taking the form of a bondservant, this love, this sacrificial love that he bears, as we live that sacrificial love out with one another, it's a reminder to our enemies that they're going to lose. Their impending doom is near. They will be destroyed. Same with unbelievers. When they see the unity of the church, they recognize the power of God. You think about Acts 2 and how that church was growing. They had this unity that everything was the same. If you needed something, I sold it. Or Bryant sold it. Or anybody in this congregation, we sold it, we met the need. We cared for one another, and day by day, the church was growing. More and more followers of Jesus Christ, as they saw Christ lived out through the hands and feet of Jesus, which is his church. That's what it, that's what it does. Second thing it does, it's a clear sign of our salvation. A clear sign of our salvation. Do you ever doubt do you ever think to yourself, you know what? Maybe this is maybe I'm a fake. Maybe I can't do this. Maybe I can't truly follow Jesus. Maybe I, maybe I, when I prayed that prayer, it wasn't real. Do you ever have doubts? Do you ever have fears? When we are unified together, when we're strengthened together, when we see what Christ does for His church and bringing us into one body, it is a sign of our salvation, an encouragement for us that, you know what? Christ really has changed our lives to where we can unify with people that we probably would never unify with outside of Jesus Christ, people that are not like us, people that we are so different from, Clemson fans with South Carolina fans. Who would ever thought? But we're able to come together because of Jesus Christ. It's a clear sign of our salvation. When we're able to humble ourselves as Jesus did, it's a sure sign that we have died to ourselves and are filled with the Spirit of God. If you're unable to unify with the person next to you because they're not worthy of your fellowship or they're not as good as you, you need to remind yourself of the gospel and your filthy sin that Jesus had to endure for the cross. Third thing it does Unity is what helps us endure the conflict and suffering of the Christian life. 
It's what helps us endure the conflict and suffering of the Christian life. Look at verses 29 to 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. You see, it's God's grace that we get to suffer for his name. Does that sound weird? It's his grace. It is a gift that we get to suffer for his name's sake. And what helps us endure the conflict and the suffering of the Christian life is one another and the unity of the body of Christ. If you're having trouble thinking of how that's God's grace, I want you just to think about some of the things in life that are hard. Training, right? Let's say working out. Some of us haven't been in the gym in a while, right? And it's hard and it's tedious and you've got to put in the work. But when you put the work in, what happens? You get results, don't you? And the results are worth it. Everything in life, there's going to be things that are hard. And and you know what? Uh, I used to have a headmaster at one of the schools that I was uh, the youth pastor for the church. And then we had a school. He used to always have the saying, hard is good. And when you think about it, hard is good. Everything in my life that I look back on and I think, man, that was amazing, was hard. It was hard. The easy things, ah, you don't really grow much. You don't really learn much from it. It's the hard things that God calls us to that we grow through the most. That we see his hand at work. See, Jesus hasn't called us to a very easy mission. That's just cake that we can just nonchalantly I will share the gospel every now and then. He's called us to one of the hardest missions, the hardest mission. I would say probably besides what Jesus had to do. His mission was was pretty hard, right? But we're to follow exactly what he did and and to live that out. What a hard mission. But there's great reward as we do the hard things and trust in the Lord. What grace that we get to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And through our suffering, we have one another in the unity of the body. And that unity helps us endure that conflict in the Christian life. Church, I believe that God has great plans for us. I see so many wonderful brothers and sisters that could not only have an impact in each other's lives or the lives of the people in our city, but I believe we can truly impact the world. If less than 300 Moravians could do it and they could reach all of those nations with the gospel and they didn't have cars and they didn't have Facebook and they couldn't just pick up a phone and communicate with people, but they went and they shared the good news of the gospel. If they could send out more missionaries than the last 200 centuries did with a group of 300 people, Church, I believe we could do the same. And I believe with the resources we have, we could do even better if we would get serious about the gospel of Jesus Christ going forth. If we would get serious about revival and praying and asking God to change our hearts so that we not only seek and trust after him, but that we love one another in the way that he's called us to love one another for the sake of the gospel. If there's a relationship that you need to pursue, if there's someone you need to forgive, if there's someone you've wronged and need to apologize to, whatever it is that is holding you and holding our church back, do you recognize that your sin affects all of us, that my sin affects all of you? Because we are one body. 
if there's one of those things this morning that we need to repent of, that we need to turn from, that we need to lay at the feet of Jesus and recognize you have paid everything for me and I can forgive because you've forgiven. If we need to lay at the feet of Jesus and say, I've wronged this person and Lord, I need your forgiveness and I'm going to ask them for forgiveness, we need to do it. If we need to wake up and realize the things we're fighting so hard for are not the things of Jesus Christ and are not the things for the kingdom of God and we need to lay those aside, we need to swallow some humble pie and we need to recognize those things need to be cast off and we need to focus and unify on the things that truly matter for the sake of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask something a little different this morning. I want to invite you, church, to come down and pray for unity for our church. I don't know if we have any music. Brian, do we have any music? If we don't, it's fine. We didn't talk about this. We can, we can play some music. I want you to invite you to come down. And even if you don't have one of these issues, I want you to come down and I want you to pray and I want you to ask for our church to have unity. As we get ready for this launching into prayer for next week, will you come down and will you pray for unity for you and the people around you? Unity for your brothers and sisters in Christ and the people around them? Would you come down and pray and ask for unity for our church so that the gospel of Jesus Christ may go forward? I'm going to pray, and when I finish praying, if you'll come down and pray with me some more and ask the Lord to move in great and mighty ways, to ask forgiveness for the sin that we have, to repent of it, turn from it, and let's go forward in unity as we take on this time of prayer for the next six weeks. May we ask the Lord to unify us and use us for his will, for his glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that we have the opportunity to repent of our sin because of what your son Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Father, each of us are sinners. We admit that. We recognize that. But Father, what makes us different as your church is that we are not okay with it. We will not continue to live in sin. We will not continue to live in disunity. Your Holy Spirit is at work in us sanctifying us, changing us. And so, Father, I pray right now that your spirit would just come in a supernatural way and fill us. Lord, that you change our hearts. You'd lead us to repentance. You'd lead us to unity. Father, we recognize that we only have this opportunity because of what your son Jesus did on the cross, and so we thank you. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning and as we've been discussing this sermon, they recognize that they cannot unify with this church because they've not unified with you. They're not in right relationship with the head of the church. Father, I pray that you change their hearts this morning, that they would truly submit their lives to you and trust you in faith. Trust your son Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, for those of us that have trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior and your spirit's working in us, Lord, show us what we need to do to be obedient to your word this morning. And Father, may our answer be yes, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.